Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Dude, I'm full. I, I smell smoke. You know what? I was going to, con- I was going to confess it to you, but since you brought it up on the podcast, no less, I need to let you know I was smoking during lunch. Were you? Yeah. I was too, actually. Actually, I was inhaling the smoke. Yeah. I wasn't actually smoking. It was just, it was there. It was tinged with some pork and beef. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. And a rib, a rib or two. Oh, I didn't have the rib, but we had the taste test rib. That was delicious. That was amazing. But man, Dan took us out to lunch yeah. to Hutchins. Yeah. That was amazing. Yep. It was so good. I'm still feeling it. It was so good. He blessed his pastors it. on that. Yes, he yeah. did. My and sweatshirt is, is eluding, exuding. Eluding? It's not eluding. <laughs> it's eluding to something. <laughs> it's exuding. <laughs> Uh, exuding the smells of glory, the aroma of barbecue. Oh, it was yeah. good, man. Yeah, I got. A, let's see, I got. I got a half a pound of brisket. I got yep. a Texas Twinkie, and I got one uh, boat of lots of different sides piled on. Yeah, because they only charge you by boat. Only charge you by the boat. So, yep. I made a. I, I made a, a good use of that. What'd yep. you get? I got. Uh, you got some a brisket. salad, a I light did. salad. Yeah, I did. Yeah, no, I got vegetarian and uh, jalapeno sausage mm. and a Texas Twinkie. Which I still, like, I don't know. At the end of the day, they're okay. But just give me the brisket. Just give me the brisket. <laughs> the brisket with the bark. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's brisket in the thing, so. Yeah, but the rest of the stuff is not necessary. Okay. Well, yeah. it's delicious. But Dan, thank you. And Pastor Rod, thanks for having a birthday. Oh, yeah. My, my pleasure. Yeah. I, will, I will have a birthday every day if it means we go to Hutchins every, every day. day. In fact, Dan even put a birthday candle in your Texas Twinkie. He did. And we sang happy birthday to you. We did. Yeah. And I joined the song. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Well, it's uh, what day is today? Wednesday. Today and, uh, is Wednesday. Hey, we only have two more days in the book of Leviticus. And I'm going to miss it. I feel like I just I just started getting into it more, and now I have to say goodbye. Yep. We've got numbers coming up. Numbers. That's right. Well, hey, speaking about our Bible stuff, let me ask yeah. you a question. A video came out not too long ago uh, from a guy that we probably follow. I think probably a few people in our church know who the guy is, so I'm not going to call his name. That's not the point. But his video said... This is the most accurate Bible translation. It was just released. Mm. And so he was promoting this, uh, this particular Bible translation. I know we've talked about it before, uh, but is that true? First of all, is, is, has the most accurate Bible translation been released? Why or why not? Uh, well, even be, we got to back up to the, the idea of translation, right? And this okay. is where we get into trouble when people come out for example there are the, probably the most well known is the camp that says it's it's King James version only that's the only authorized version of the bible that that anyone should study anywhere and that comes from primarily independent fundamentalist baptist churches today yeah today that's yeah. where you're going to see it most often yeah but even that is is unfounded because the 1611 King James version is a translation it's a translation of the original languages and even the original languages we've talked about this before when we get into the New Testament, some of the New Testament authors are quoting from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So right. they're citing a translation of the, the Hebrew. And so that's right. there's so many different layers to this. So is the LSB the most accurate English translation that's out there? It, it's it's based on some of the most recent scholarship that exists out there. So in that sense, you could argue, sure, that uh, that the, the scholars that are behind this, this translation are dealing with the most most recent manuscript evidence that's there, the most recent textual critical arguments that are out there. 
and uh, and making informed decisions based on that. And, and the LSB's lineage comes through the NASB, the New American right. Standard Bible. Uh, in fact, they're pretty close to each other. There's some differences here and there, but but by and large, they're pretty they're pretty close to each other. And uh, the NASB, for the longest time, has been known as probably the most wooden translation of the Bible that exists out there, meaning it's clunky because they, they go for the most literal translation of the Greek and the Hebrew language that they possibly can. And so that doesn't always read well in English, and it right. makes it hard to understand sometimes, which is why... There are other translations out there that are still faithful. For example, the English Standard Version, which is what we use at the church, right. that are faithful that may not be as literal as far as keeping word order and, and everything else like that, but that are still after the, the accurate reproduction of the original languages. So there's really two major camps uh, or, uh, on, on a spectrum. You have dynamic equivalent Bibles that have a, a more thought for thought to convey like this is the idea behind what the literal words say and then you have the formal equivalent which you just referenced the nasb the lsb and others like it um, are dynamic equivalent bibles like the niv or maybe the uh, new english century version the cev um, are those inaccurate then and these other ones on the literal side more accurate is that a fair word to use? In, in some senses, yes, de- depending on the, the translation that you're picking up. There are some that have gone so far towards the dynamic equ- equivalence that they're, they're, what, it, what it is is the editor's interpretation more than it is the, the original content. And that's where we need to be careful. The, the ESV, I don't think, has, has crossed over there. Though There are a, a couple of parts where you can see some of their eschatology come through. I think we mentioned this last time, last year, when we were going through Daniel. Um, but, but not in a corrupting kind of a sense if that if that makes sense so it's a fair translation it's just not one that we prefer right and and even the niv is a fair translation but look if you're gonna if you're gonna want to say i'm gonna dig in i'm gonna dive in deep i want to do deep study of god's word then getting something that is more on the formal side of things is going to be more beneficial to you because it's a closer representation of what's there in the original languages so it's not entirely unfair to say this the l the l sb is the most accurate bible translation to date. Yeah, it's probably a fair assessment. Yeah, Legacy Standard Bible is what that stands for also. Yeah. And that's done by the Master Seminary and all those guys on staff, yep. I believe it's most of their people. Yep. yep. Okay. Yeah. So if I got an, uh, is there, a, which Bible should I stay away from? Because you, you sound like you have something in mind here. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, the message is is probably not a Bible you want to pick up and bring to church with you. It's not a, it's, well, it's not a version either. Like we have the English standard version, right. the new international version. Those versions have a translation committee right. that work to, to translate accurately and right. properly. And that's not the, the message is Eugene Peterson. Right. And he's not trying to offer a translation. Right. But if you go to Mardell bookstore down the street, you'll find the message sitting on the bookshelves amongst the other Bibles there. Right. So something like that. Uh, the CEV, the century English, English version, version. Yeah. another one I would probably stay away from again. It, it it's, it's going too far in trying to modernize some of the concepts and thoughts there. Another one that I would stay away from is the TNIV. Uh, so you've got your NIV, but then you've got the TNIV. The TNIV has moved away from gender-specific language in a lot of the sections where we feel like it's still appropriate to use gender-specific language. There's one thing to say when Paul says brothers, he's really implying brothers and sisters. Right. Well, we can get behind that. That's fine. But it's a, something entirely different when you begin to pull out the gender specificity of the scriptures altogether in an effort to try to make it more palatable to our culture. So TNIV, CEV, I would stay away from the passion translation. I would stay away from that. Um, yeah. ESV, CSB uh, is the Christian Standard Bible. That's a, a, a great translation. 
uh, NASB, good translation. NIV, again, as long as it's not Which the one? TNIV. Uh, NIV 11, 2011, is that one a good one? Uh, yeah, I, I'm preference to the 80, preferential to the 84, yeah, 1984 version. I grew up with that one. That, yeah. was, that was the best one. Yeah. Um, so if you're in doubt, I mean, reach out to us, ask us. The, here's the thing, man. There, there are... The Christian Standard Bible is very readable. It's a it's a great translation. I, I think if you're saying, we would encourage you to bring your ESV to church on Sunday because that's what you're going to hear the messages preached from. Same thing if you're listening to parents and you've got students in student ministry, get them an ESV Bible, paperback, whatever you need to do, but get them an ESV Bible so that when they come and listen to the sermons on Wednesday nights, they're, they're able to follow along in the text that's being preached from. But if you're saying, man, do I? what about when I'm at home and I'm just trying to read and I'm trying to read for comprehension and understanding? I, we would probably both say the Christian Standard Bible is a great Bible for that purpose. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. So those are those are helpful. So you said uh, the ESV—that's the one we use at the church. The CSB, Christian, Christian Standard Bible. You said the uh, NASB, NASB, LSB, which is, is LSB, yeah. NASB. I mean, they're, they're basically synonymous. Yeah, they're different. Yeah, but basically synonymous. King James is fine. New King James is fine. It, the, the sixteen eleven—you're going to have trouble reading that. There's a lot of these and thous and flowering. Language. It's a beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Bible in in that sense, if you can track with that language, I struggle with it, so I I kind of stay away from that. The New King James is is modernized, so it's less of that, but it, it, those are fine as well. Yeah, I, I think the probably probably a question to consider that they don't need to know about right now, but which translation or, or what texts are they using for the translation? Um, what manuscript tradition are they following? The King James and I think even the New King James are are using texts that are uh, popular, but but older. And and old, not older, not in a good sense. They're they're going to be uh, some of the newer. This is going to sound I- ironic, but some of the newer manuscripts um, are the ones that we are, we're able to look at and say, okay, though these have a longer tradition. Um, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get to here is sometimes, and maybe it's best to ask Pastor PJ and myself if you really want to know which which translation is using which textual tradition. We really like the ESV and the others that we mentioned. Those are great translations. Just keep in mind they're going to be different if they're using different textual traditions. Yeah. And, and just so that you guys are aware, th- there's some pretty crazy stuff going on even right now as far as textual criticism. Uh, there's a, a website called the Center for the Study of the New Testament Manuscripts. There's a guy named Dan Wallace, who is a Greek professor at Dallas Seminary, who him and his team have a camera that can actually see through layers of these old manuscripts that are sitting in some of these museums. Because what would happen is, because paper wasn't, cheap they would take an existing document and cover over it right and then write something new they would put a, a layer over it and then write something new on top of that well they've, they've got cameras now using the the technology that can actually see what's underneath there and some of these are proving to be biblical manuscripts that were covered over yeah uh, over time and so uh, we're we're still discovering manuscript evidence for the bible none of it undermining anything that we believe but the it, quite the opposite it's it's helping us to affirming it, look right. at variants and things like that and and compare and contrast and, and we talked about this i think I, we mentioned this but on the 29th we may do a, a little bit of a deeper dive into this we idea may. Of transmission and canonicity maybe we'll do an audience vote maybe we will <laughs> maybe we will well on to the text thank you very much for taking that quick diversion yeah if that created questions send them into us compass uh, podcast at, at compassntx.org yeah, Leviticus chapter 24 and 25. We are finishing up the book of Leviticus tomorrow. Tomorrow, But uh, here we get into, so chapter 24, verses 1 through 9, I, I titled this one, Tabernacle Ops, like the facilities team. 
the tops. <laughs> like the, how it Operations. operates, what they're supposed to do here, right? Okay. So you've got the lamps in verses one through four, what they're supposed to do there, the, the, the showbread in verses five through nine, which remember, again, in uh, in the book of First Samuel, chapter 21, uh, the, the start of it here, David goes to, to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and when he goes there, he and his men are hungry, and they end up eating some of this showbread there. So well, what? Um, this is going to be something that we'll talk about more in depth in, in 1 Samuel 21, but it was reserved for the priests, and so there's going to be question there, was was David wrong? So there's your your hook to come back when we get, to, oh. when we get all the way to 1 Samuel. Uh, then we get into to verses 10 through 16. We want to camp out here for just a second. So uh, in verses 10 through 16, you have a case study arise where... An Israelite woman's son, uh, whose father was an Egyptian, so he's 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 a halfzi. Yeah, he's a half breed. I love halfzies. Yeah, he um, ends up blaspheming the the Lord's name, and 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 it says and cursed. And so they bring him to Moses, and Moses seeks the Lord's counsel, and the Lord says, "Well, everyone who heard this needs to lay their hands on him, and, and he should be put to death. He should be executed." Yikes! So blasphemy. What is blasphemy? Well, blasphemy at this point in time was was using the Lord's name, but but using the Lord's name in a curse. Um, and so it was again. The word blasphemy means to take that that which is elevated, that which is high, that which is exalted, and, and to bring it low, to treat it as common. And so here he's blaspheming the Lord's name. Uh, is taking the Lord's name in vain, if you will, but but even more than that, he's he's using it as a curse word here, and the the, the response that the Lord demands is that not just uh, Moses or the the executioners there, but but the, everybody within earshot. So there's an implication that everybody within earshot was was a tacit participant in this man's blasphemy because they heard it, hmm. and so they all need to be a participant in the execution of justice, which was to take this man's life. And, uh, and so that's what happens here. What do we do today? Because I, I'm sure if, if you guys listening to this or anything like us, it, it doesn't take long before you're out and about in our society, in our world, where we hear somebody use a God's bad name word. as a curse name. Or, yeah, or just a, a bad word. And so how do we respond to that? How do we think about that? What should we, what should we do? With we that? lay our hands on them. And then we stone them. And then them. we stone them. Yeah. Seems like we got precedent right here. Seems like it. Yeah, well, and, and this is interesting. Pastor Rod and I were just talking about this earlier today. There's a lot of our understanding of what is profane is influenced by the culture. Culturally and defined by and large. Yeah. Yeah. So then our response as Christians, what does that mean for us? Do we say, well, since it's culturally defined, I don't know, it's not, God doesn't really care if I'm using certain profanity as long as I'm not using his name as a curse word, which is what is happening here, then I, I'm okay with it. it it's It's really not a big deal. And we would say no. Um, in fact, Pastor Rod, you preached through Ephesians recently, and Paul in Ephesians has a lot to say about our words and, and the things that come out of our mouths. And he talks about not letting unwholesome words come out of our mouth, but only that which is good for the building up of other people. So maybe how does that passage apply to our thinking of profanity as we conduct ourselves as believers? Man, I have so much to say about this because I, I, mean, I, I grew up in a family that really, well, we, weren't, we didn't do that, at least publicly. Um, and that was a sin that I committed pretty freely until I became a Christian. And then I stopped. It's like, okay, I can't do this anymore. So Ephesians 4.29 is going to be our marching orders. Remember, we as Christians don't look at Leviticus and say, okay, how do we obey the law? We're no longer under the law. 
This has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And so the law of Leviticus, by and large, is not binding, except and unless you have something in the New Testament that says, oh, by the way, that's coming with us. <laughs> We're yeah. taking that with us. And this is one of those areas where blasphemy still can be done or sinfully done and understood by Christians today. And the marching orders for us is Ephesians 4.29. But notice verse 32, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So I think the standard for us is actually higher than what it was for those under the watchful eye of Moses who were saying, hey, don't use the Lord's name in vain, all of the Ten Commandments. Don't use his word as a, use his name as a cuss word. Don't, uh, don't uh, use God's name, con- God's name contemptuously. Uh, so the idea here is that we should be a people whose speech reflects our identity. And our identity are sons and daughters of God who are called to be holy as he himself is holy. And so I think the standard is actually far higher. Yeah. So for me as a Christian, is there any particular place or context in which profanity might be acceptable, appropriate even? I don't think there is. So I'm going to say, I'm going to put my cards on the table and say, I don't think there's ever a time where a Christian is in any way justified in using potty language. Um, Culturally speaking, again, this is interesting because culturally, maybe in 50 years, when our grandkids are roaming the earth and they're having kids, maybe the the language that we're experiencing today as potty language isn't a big deal. Maybe, I'll, I'll offer that. Maybe that's a possibility because language is a living organism. There's words that we use today that mean different things than they were they used 50 years ago. That said, I don't think in our generation, we're trying to be on the cutting edge of what's cool to say or not say. And therefore, we as Christians should should be very cognizant to say, I don't want to say anything that's going to give the gospel or Jesus a bad name. Right. Um, we shouldn't be the kind of people who say, I drink, I smoke, and I cuss a little, and that's my Christian testimony. I'm just being authentic to who God made me to be. That's not who God made you to be. Right. God made you to be someone who reflects his glory and his holiness, which again, which is why we're reading the book of Leviticus. It, it heightens the fact that God's holiness is not just something to be trifled with. It's not just a, an idea or a concept. It's a real thing that we can violate and dishonor. Therefore, I don't think there's ever a time for us to use potty language. And if uh, if we need to communicate ourselves, uh, communicate or express ourselves in a way that shows uh, big emotions, this is where Christians are called to put on their big boy pants and learn how to use their vocabulary in a productive way. Yeah. Not everyone's going to be able to do that equally well, but that's okay. Yeah, God, that's... God made us different. So, okay. What about the, the stand-in words then? If I don't say the big ticket words, but I say other words that we have substituted for the big ticket words, is is that permissible? I'm going to punt this one to you. Okay. I have an answer, but I, I mean, I, I know you have okay. thoughts on this too that you want to add, but I, I have an answer. Yeah. So one of the one of the problems with profanity being a, a part of a Christian's vocabulary is Jesus makes it clear when he says, "Out of the the, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart," right? Right. And, and so the words that come out, of, come out of our mouth, by and large, reveal what's going on inside. And when we use these substitute words or substitute phrases, even those things can be indicative of, of a heart that's thinking the same thoughts and has the same uh, darkened uh, concepts. Mm. And so we, we use words that we clean up so that we're not as offensive to somebody else. But really, the question is, what, what's the heart behind it? So um, if I say, oh, my gosh. Right. Right there. If we stopped and we said, "What do you mean by gosh?" Right. What do you What are you implying there? Well, I think we know the cultural response to that. Right? Is oh well, everybody else is standing for God. Oh my God! Right. Right. Um, or OMG or things like that. Or it, it, it's we we just we have to strive not for 
it's the old, you know, in student ministry, it's the old purity question. How close can I get without being, without crossing the, without line. Crossing the line? Yeah. It's, we got to strive to avoid that question as adults when it comes to our, our language too. Well, how close can I get? How much like the world can I be without being sinful in this? And it's like, well, that's the wrong question to ask. We need to ask the question that you were just talking about, which is God is holy and cares that we should be holy. And so do our words that come out of our mouth reflect his holiness or does it reflect a heart that's darkened in our, our hmm. practice? Yeah, probably the thing that is most often revealed when we use euphemisms is a lack of discipline. We, we want to express anger or frustration or surprise. Uh, and when we, are, we default to tried and true cultural exclamations. And so I remember a, a long time ago, I heard on a TV show, Jiminy Crickets. I'm like, oh, that's funny. I like that. Right. And so I started using it. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's right. JC. G. Oh no. You know, it's one of those things. I, at the moment, I thought that was funny. I'm like, oh, that's really that's really enjoyable. It's I don't know. It's humorous. But then I realized, oh no, I'm basically taking Jesus' name in vain because I thought it was funny. And I think the challenge for adults today is that most of us we're just products of our culture. We swim in the cultural sewage and don't realize that we yep. smell like garbage yep. because we're just in it. And so the Christian man and woman has to be disciplined enough to say, okay, let me just examine my speech. Is what I'm saying something that I should be saying? Is it something I want to be saying? Is it something I want my kids to hear or or my church? Do I want my pastors to hear me saying this particular word or phrase? Is that something I, I should be on guard about? And probably most of the time, it serves all of us well to examine our speech and to say, okay, does this honor Christ? Some of the more innocuous words that we might use, I, we, just, we, just, we were talking about the C word, the, the C, a four-letter C word that is a stand-in for the, the four-letter S word. I mean, that's a softer version of the word, but why do we say that? Right. Often it's the scatological words that find their way into our expressions of anger or grief or frustration. And, and they're just not fruitful. Does it, does it edify the body? Does it give grace to those who hear? Probably not. And therefore, we would probably do well to eradicate them from our language. And it's going to take discipline. But the Spirit wants to do that. He, he, he doesn't want us to grieve Him. He doesn't want us to, to hurt the body of Christ. And therefore, I think it would be helpful for us to say, I'm going to take a closer look at my language in order that I might honor the Lord by what I say. Yeah. And, and you might say, well, what happens? We're not going to get stoned to death. Well, you're not going to get stoned. But... Um, We're buying plush toys that you're going to start throwing from the pulpit, if I understood you right. Yeah, that's that's it. Okay. No, but uh, but Jesus said, we are going to be held to account for every careless word that God <laughs> speaks. Uh, so there will come a day when our words are measured, and that will be the beam of seat, and there's going to be lost reward. There's going to be forfeited reward for... Uh, if, if we're not disciplined in this area. And so it is significant for us uh, in that regard. Yeah, the Lord measures every single word. Yeah. That, again, the standard is higher for us yeah. and not smaller, yeah. not lower. The rest of chapter 24, we get into more concepts of justice here, uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, so forth and so on, that, that there's a, a, a response that's appropriate to the, the offense there. Um, and the, notice in verse 22, the rule is the same, not just for the Israelite, but also for the 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 sojourner, the one just passing through. Why? Because again, our connection back to the holiness of God there in verse 22. Chapter 25, then we get into these, uh, these different years, the sabbatical year, the Sabbath year. So uh, there was going to be rest for the land uh, every seventh year. Uh, the land was not going to be uh, harvested in the same way. It wasn't going to be turned to for economic reasons. The people were going to eat, but they were only going to eat of what naturally the land produced. They weren't going to work the land in the same way because the land was to rest during that. It was a, an opportunity to, to depend on the Lord. It was an opportunity to uh, just 
to, to, to show proper care and stewardship for God's creation. But then there's this thing called the, the year of Jubilee. So every 50th year, so after seven sevens, the, the 50th year, there was going to be a, a special year that was observed where all of the land that had been sold to somebody else and all of the slaves that had been sold into service to somebody else were, were freed and restored and returned to the people. And so um, this is is interesting. In fact, one of the commentators said, in short, the Jubilee year meant every Israelite would have a fresh start on their own land, surrounded by relatives and enjoying an added year of rest. Reset. Yeah, it's a reset. Yeah. And uh, and that that's interesting. Now, there were, there were things that were done there to make sure that uh, if somebody needed compensation for certain things, that there was compensation given. And, and there's a lot that went into that that are, are described here in the rest of chapter 25. But there's restoration of property. There's restoration of slaves. Um, and so some of the themes that emerge here in chapter 25 are uh, justice, uh, love for the neighbor, redemption, forgiveness. There's a lot of really good gospel themes here in this. And and this is something that God provided or prescribed, but I don't know that we have any record of Israel actually observing either the Sabbath or the Jubilee years. I don't think they were, I mean, <laughs> I don't think they were good enough to, to get that far. Right. In fact, later when we talk about the Sabbaths, the Sabbath years, uh, God is tracking the fact that they weren't doing it. Right. So I, I would be inclined to agree. They actually probably never got to this point. Yep. 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 Can I make one more quick point about the end of chapter 24, just For before sure. we, we, we wrap up this thing here. Chapter 24, I think is a good example of, of the distinction between murder and killing. Some people who argue against the death penalty, um, which again, we haven't talked about that. We're talking about the old covenant here would say, well, isn't that you're just, you're uh, responding to sin with more sin. You're responding to murder with murder. Well, no, that's not the case. God clearly gives instructions for Israelites to stone the man who blasphemed. And so he would make a distinction between that, which is murderous, the unlawful taking of a life versus killing the lawful taking of a human life, which is what happens here. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good distinction. Uh, yeah, it'd probably be helpful for us to revisit that in greater detail. We will at some point, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in. Keep reading your Bibles and join us tomorrow as we wrap up the book of Leviticus. Bye, y'all. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.